0: With wings like eagles, they shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not grow faint. Let's worship together. as we wait upon the Lord Valley, Lord. inside your eyes the world awakens in the light of the day i look up to the sky and say you're beautiful power in the moonlit night where planets are in motion and galaxies are bright we are amazed in the light of the stars it's all proclaiming just a memory and tears are no more. We'll enter in as the wedding bells ring. Your bride will continue Father, we thank you for the time that we have to come together as a family and come to you, to worship you, to know you. Father, we ask this morning that you would teach us, that you would open our hearts and our minds to your truth. I pray that you would make us like Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. You guys can be seated. And if you're one of our kids, K-5, through you can be dismissed to Sunshine Kids Club. If you're a guest, um, please feel free to go with your kiddo and get them checked in and then come back and join us.
1: Good morning. It's been just one week since we celebrated Easter Resurrection Sunday. If you were with us, I thought it was a tremendous morning and the worship team and and Dave and all of it coming together and, and communicating the truth of the gospel and and uh, but. Uh, for me, what was more exciting than what happened up here was what was happening in the back, you know, with guys having to run and find chairs and, and uh, line people up in the, in, the, in the aisle over there. It's exciting, especially after the last 12 months that we've had, right? You remember a year ago, Easter service, having to be in cars out in the parking lot. And knowing that uh, we're able to come and celebrate together, uh, that we can be excited about what God is doing, even in difficult times, in times of celebration, in times of mourning, God is always working, right? But there's a thing that happens with us when time moves on. And and in Scripture today, we're going to look at one week later... Uh, from that resurrection Sunday, and, and it's a story that is almost as famous as the resurrection story, and that is of Thomas. And you all know him as Doubting Thomas. Which I just feel like, would you like to be known as your your surname is is your your weakness? You know, um, I, it's also unfair because this passage holds one of the strongest statements of faith by Thomas so we're going to look at both of those, but really this passage addresses our problem with memory, right? God does something in our lives. God moves, draws us through an experience, teaches us something, and then time moves on and we look back and wonder, did that really happen? Did that really happen? Can I really trust God's promise? Can I really trust God's love? Can I really trust God's presence? Because things have changed, right? The situation is different. It's been a week later. Did Jesus really rise from the dead? That that event that we celebrated last week, is it still true this week? And so I think Jesus moves us through situations where he, we are given an opportunity to respond and to grow and to be uh, challenged. And doubt plays into that. Doubt is a part of God's plan in our discipleship. It's really a question of how we manage it, how we challenge it, how we trust God with it. Or if we ignore it and push it down and bottle it away and pack it away and maybe get a little embarrassed So Thomas, I think, is a leader in this area because we all have doubts. We all have times where we, we question. And so Thomas is just out there with it and gives us an opportunity to learn from this process of how Jesus works in our doubt. So we're gonna be in John chapter 20, and we're gonna start our story with what I would call the prologue of the story of Thomas. And it's, it's the night of Resurrection Sunday, and, and we're going to see, in verse 19, Jesus appear to the disciples. So the activities of the morning have come and gone, the empty tomb discovery, and all the excitement and the wonder, and people saying, what is going on? And so the disciples are huddled, and, it, and we're told they're behind locked doors, and they're afraid still. And they don't have any idea what is going on. All they know is the last three days have been a roller coaster. And so they're waiting. And it says in verse 19, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, that being Sunday night, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. After all they had gone through, Jesus visits miraculously because they're hiding, and they're, they're behind a bolted door, and he just appears. And he's there to strengthen their faith. He's there to deal with their fear. He's there to encourage them, and he's there to bring peace, right? That's the first words he says, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. I have a feeling they were lacking peace, right, in that moment. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. So Jesus finds the disciples. He he speaks into their life. And we're given this, this prologue, this, this uh, you know, before, because we're not really going to understand what's going on with Thomas unless we see what Jesus has already done in the life of the disciples previously. Now, we're going to skip down a few verses. And, and if you're wondering, uh, next week we're going to deal with, with these uh, verses that we're going to skip over. So you're going to have to come back to hear the, the rest of the story. But in verse 24, we read now Thomas one of the 12 called the twin was not with them when Jesus came. All right. So we don't know where Thomas was, but maybe there's a little hidden message for those of us that are perpetually late to everything. If, if, if you've been accused of, of the the fact that you will be late for the rapture here, Thomas was actually late for the return of Jesus, or maybe he just wasn't there. Maybe he was running errands or maybe Jesus picked a time when Thomas wouldn't be there. Maybe Jesus knew what Thomas was struggling with. Maybe Jesus wanted to give him some personal attention. Maybe he wanted Thomas to have to question and wrestle with his doubt a little longer. Either way, Jesus returns once again in a very similar situation. Look at how John describes it. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger and and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. So the disciples give him, give him their story. Hey, Jesus, Jesus came up here. We were in this very room. The, The door was locked. You missed it. And Thomas says, no, I don't. I don't believe you and unless I see proof, unless I can actually get my hands into the wounds. You see, they're telling him about how Jesus showed up and, and showed the wounds. It was him. I'm just not going to believe it. This time of year, many of you are possibly trying your hand at gardening, right? And there's one particular plant that I've, I've tried growing since I've visited here or since I've moved here. It has guess we're not visiting anymore. (laughs) And everywhere I've been, I could grow squash here. I can't. And it took me a couple years to finally open up about this. I was a little embarrassed and I would talk to other people and I'd say, why can't I grow squash here? What's wrong with this place? You know, it always seems to work out fine, right? If, if, you've, if you've gone down this road with me, is, is it grows, it's great, everything's going fine, you get flowers and then the one little squash comes and then it all just rots, turns into mush. And I would blame everything on what was going on and I would try to solve the problem based on what I thought was going on. It was actually Bill Begin that was the one that finally told me, well, it's the squash moth and I got a, I got a picture of it for you. That guy is the reason why I can't grow squash. So apparently what happens is he flies around, or here, I guess that's probably a she in this case, flies around, is attracted to the the flowers, and while the squash is young and and tender and and easily manipulated, this evil moth, will find the squash, lay eggs under it, and then fly away. And then soon they hatch and a little worm starts crawling. And in fact, I have another picture that kind of shows the process. So you have these eggs, and then you have this worm, this borer worm, will find the squash. And, and, and I was talking to our, uh, my friend Patrick, who's, who's, I don't see him here today. He has a, he has a farm. Um, and so he's a farmer if you want to have, you know, find out what's going on. Um, and, and so this, this moth finds plants that have these tubes in them, right? So not every plant, just the ones that they have a, a highway straight up the plant to burrow. And they eat it from the inside out. So on the outside, you see this healthy plant. And and the moment at which fruit is about to grow and you get all excited, it just collapses on itself. What I didn't know this whole time was that there was something eating through the plant from the inside out. And there's a truth that is evidenced from Thomas's life, and I think illustrated by this process, that, that doubt left unchallenged rots our fruitfulness. Doubt left unchallenged rots a fruitful life. And it, it, you can almost take it a step further that it, there's, there's some interventions you can take. There, people have different processes. I had noticed uh, Nathan posted a picture where he covered them and he's going to cover them for a little while till the plant gets older. You can, you can go in and put things around them and try to, uh, to, to keep the moth off, off it. Uh, some take foil and wrap it around it. What you're doing is you're intervening, you're challenging it, and you're trying to help that plant grow till it's strong enough so that that, that worm can't get in there anymore. There are points in our lives where Jesus walks in and we have things that are starting to kind of chew through us and and we have questions, we have doubts, and we wonder, is God's love true in this moment? Can I trust his promise? But Jesus intervenes. You see, Thomas wanted to stick his fingers in the holes. And he's a lot like us. He's a lot like me anyway, and I don't know about you, but I'm constantly wanting to stick my fingers in the holes of life. I'm constantly, why? Really? Isn't that it, why is the hole, right? I, I want to search that out. God, why? But our desire to put our, whole, our fingers in all the holes is countered by Jesus' constant pursuit of belief in our life. In fact, as I read the story of Thomas, I am convinced that Jesus personally pursues belief in each one of us. And it isn't just that initial belief of salvation, it's throughout our life as we continue to pursue belief. Because if we if we let these questions and these doubts go unchecked, the moment that it from the outside that it seems like everything's going fine, we suddenly collapse. The moment at which Jesus can produce fruit in our life through our own growth, through ministry around us, is the moment at which those doubts finally cut through the heart of it, and we we kind of just collapse. Jesus wants to challenge that doubt, wants to use it for our growth, wants to prune us back that's why we get to verse 26, right after Thomas's fateful words, I will never believe. We see this eight days later and in their accounting, that would be the two Sundays. So you have Sunday and then a week and then the next Sunday. So we're one week later from that day. His disciples were inside again. Thomas was with them this time. He's on time. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Same scenario, same words. Jesus is recreating the scene. He is backing the disciples' story. He's coming in and saying, Okay, Thomas, you doubted the disciples. You doubted me. Because understand something. Thomas was with all of the rest of the disciples all the times Jesus said, We're gonna go to Jerusalem, I'm gonna die going to be crucified. Three days later, I'm going to rise again. And they heard that. And to Thomas's credit, none of them understood what was, what was being said. We're told that they were confused, that they would ask questions. They would wonder, what is going on? I think they all felt they were kind of in a swan song as they, as they trudged towards Jerusalem, that this was not going to end well. They knew the heat that they were walking into. And then all the events of the Last Supper and the garden and then the arrests and the trials, the beatings, Peter denying Jesus, the disciples fleeing into the night and hiding and then hearing about Jesus's death. And and then that Sunday morning, finding the tomb empty and wondering what in the world is going on. Thomas was a part of all of that. But for some reason, in the moment the disciples came back and said, he was here, we saw him, it just wasn't enough. He had to see it. Anybody like that? Anybody just have a real problem with the unknown? You can have everybody around you saying, oh, this happened, this happened, but I don't know, I need to see it. Jesus recreates the scene. And he walks in and says, peace be with you. But then he turns to Thomas and makes it personal. Put your finger here and see my hands verse 27. And put your hand in my in your put your hand or wait and put out your hand and place it on my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. His message to Thomas, his challenge to Thomas, stop being an unbeliever. Stop being an unbeliever. Thomas stood up and with strong words said, I will never believe unless I get to see proof with my own hands. Jesus shows up, provides that proof, and then basically says, okay, you asked for it, you got it. Will you now believe? There's, there's a thing going on here that, that is related to what I mentioned earlier at the beginning, uh, our memory issues and and how we constantly need to be able to stick our our fingers in the holes. When God does show up, when he does lead us, when he does challenge us, how do we respond at that point? Because he's going to Thomas and saying, okay, I have personally pursued your belief. And that's what, the thing that stands out to me the most. Did Jesus need to come back and recreate the scene? Didn't he already talk to most of them? They were all excited. Couldn't he have moved on? How much time did he really have in his post-resurrection, this post-resurrection time period, his tours, you could say his resurrection tours? he's going around talking to different people and showing up. He'd already been to this location. He comes back. I think it shows his personal care for Thomas. He wants Thomas to believe. He knows Thomas is dealing with something and he knows he needs to show up. And he needs to challenge Thomas. He doesn't rebu- rebuke him. He doesn't, you know, put him down. He doesn't say, come on, man, you the rest of the guys believe, what, what's your problem? Or, hey, you guys are a team. Aren't their words good enough? Why, why do you doubt their words? Instead, he simply challenges his doubt by saying exactly the thing that Thomas said. So picture that. This is is a situation where not only is Jesus providing the proof, he's using the same words that Thomas used. So now Thomas is faced with the reality that not only did he doubt Jesus, did he doubt Jesus' witnesses, but Jesus was aware of the entire thing. You know, was he standing outside the door listening Or maybe he's God and he knows all things and he knew Thomas's heart. So he could show up and say, Thomas, I know you. I know what you need. I created you. I love you and I'm gonna pursue you. And I want you to deal with this because I don't want you to go out from here, go out into ministry, go be sent out. As it says, he sent them out. And and next week, we're gonna talk more about that. But he doesn't want them to go out with that worm boring through his heart. And then at some point in the future, when he's in a real difficult situation, for him to just collapse. So Jesus going to Thomas says, we're going to deal with this now. Let's talk about this. So he lays himself bare before Thomas and says, here, you needed proof. It's here. What are you going to do now? Well, what he does now is one of the strongest statements of faith in the entire New Testament. And that's why I say Thomas gets a bad rap. Each of us has moments of doubt. How many of us will stand up and proclaim this? Thomas answered him in verse 28, my Lord and my God. A strong apologetic for the identity of Jesus. A strong apologetic for the reality of the death, burial and crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. That we have a skeptic Proclaiming, my Lord and my God. It's one thing to have someone that was following Jesus around and was easily, you know, uh, someone on the other side might say, uh, deceived. Here we have Thomas who did not believe, who doubted, and is now standing up and saying, okay, I believe. I believe 100%. I am all in. Strong words, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. So we see Jesus challenge Thomas's doubts. We see Thomas respond well. We see him stand up and give this proclamation. It's all about belief. You see, when John writes, belief is a major theme. It's a major word. It's throughout his his book. And unlike the way we are taught in school, when you write a paper, you put the thesis statement at the beginning, John puts it at the end. And in fact, this story of Thomas and belief and doubt and faith is all put right before what I would call the epilogue of the Thomas story, but really the thesis of the entire gospel of John in verse 30. When John says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written. The things that John picked out, that the Holy Spirit guided him to say, these things need to be written down. Future generations are not going to see and yet believe. They need to read what you are saying. These witnesses that saw Jesus As their Lord, as their God, as their risen Messiah, doing miraculous things, these things need to be written down so that we could see them and read them and believe. But these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. These things are written. This is John's witness statement, all right? So if you go to a crime scene, there's a witness statement. It's going to be up here. He was really here. It all really happened. That's John's witness statement. He was really here. It all really happened. This isn't a myth. This isn't a story. It's not a legend. It's not hearsay. This really happened. If you weren't with us last Easter and I was to say this place was packed and we had chairs and you'd be like, nah, no way. I wasn't here. I didn't see it. It didn't happen. We give witness to the fact, if you were here, the apostles, they gave witness and John through the power of the Holy Spirit wrote it down so that we might believe so that we may have life. When we're in a moment of doubt, when we begin to say, did this really happen? Did Jesus really rise from the dead? Whether a week later or 2000 years later, we have opportunity to say, yes, this really happened. But the thing is, those doubts will continue to arise. Every time that flower in your life blooms and fruit is coming, that nasty moth will show up and lay eggs, right? Whether it's the enemy or whether it's just my own flesh, doubts will begin to hatch out and crawl and root through. And I got to deal with those and I got to challenge them. And Jesus provides intervention, not flimsy foil or seven dust. He's actually going to come in and eradicate this doubt and allow us to grow through it. And so I, as I thought about scripture and I thought about this, I I came up with a little acronym because I like acronyms. And, and so I spelled doubt because what other word, right? And so doubt intervention, but I want to play a little game because I know you're tired and it's the end of the sermon. So (laughs) We're going to, we're going to see who can, who can uh, guess what the, what's the D each letter. What do you think the D is? It's the most obvious one doubt. There you go, Grayson. Thanks (laughs) doubt. Here's the first one in, in, in our, in Jesus's intervention of our doubt, doubt your doubts. Why do we so easily question our faith and yet don't question our doubts, right? Why am I doubting right now? Thomas could have asked that question. Why am I having such a hard time believing my friends that I've lived with for the last three years? Why am I having a hard time disbelieving the very thing Jesus said would happen? Spiritual attack. We are in warfare. We could be lied to. Our hearts deceive ourselves. Maybe something big is right around the corner. So doubt your doubts, ask the questions, challenge challenge those doubts. Okay, O, this is probably the one you're not going to guess. You know, when you're trying to make things work in an acronym, sometimes you've got to crowbar things. <laughs> this would be my crowbar. The O is on the other side. Anybody guessing that one now? On the other side, here's, here's the point. Doubt often paves the way for a deeper faith. Just look at the story of Thomas. You would think if Thomas was that mired in doubt, that just a simple, hey, here I am, wouldn't make him stand up and go, my Lord and my God, and then go off and die for this cause. You'd think there'd be this like slow, kind of up and down stock market thing. No, he's just like, (sighs) how often does that happen in your life? where in a moment of struggle, Jesus intervenes. And then right after that, it's like it shakes your roots and allows them to just dive down deep. And in that moment of that doubt, as you're questioning your doubts, consider the fact that there is another side of this doubt. There's another side. And on the other side, you will have a stronger faith. Why? Because Jesus is not going to let you go. You're his son. You're his daughter. And he speaks into your life in those moments of doubt, much like he did with Thomas. You see, I think Jesus does personally pursue us to see belief grow. And he does it in your unique way with Thomas. It was show up and say, look, here's tangible proof. You remember the men on the road to Emmaus. All he did was just to talk about the Old Testament he talked about the law and the prophets. He taught them. He used scripture. How does he do it in your life? How does, how does Jesus work in your doubts in your life? I know for me, it's in a, a very unique, unique way and maybe in a, in a, unique to that situation. But every time I do, the other side of it, I come out stronger. So when you're in the middle of it, don't give up. Okay, you. Anybody think what? Understanding. Is that Brad? You weren't cheating, were you? You're up. You're back there by the. You got the computer back there. <laughs> Understanding. The Holy Spirit's here. That was that was confirmation, right? <laughs> Understanding gaps. We need to be okay with them. Even Paul calls things in Christian doctrine a mystery. He says, this is a mystery. How God can step into your life and create a new person, a new heart, that's a mystery. That's miraculous. How he took the Jewish people and, and all the rest of us, Gentiles, and created one church, that's, he called that a mystery. I, uh, my, one of my favorite shows, and it's been a while now, was the show Lost. I was a huge fan, still am. And if you ever want to have lunch and have a long, drawn-out, analytical conversation about every character, I'm your guy. If you're just looking for that person. I know I am. <laughs> what I found, though, when I would try to talk to people, they were like, ah, that show's dumb. Which, one, if you want to get in a fight with me, that's say that. <laughs> Is I think there's just kind of two different kinds of people. Some of us are really good with mystery. Some of us are good with answers left you know, with questions left unanswered. Uh, some of us, we need them all tied up in a bow. You know, and that's why there's all the cop shows on CBS. You, you watch those and, you know, you find out who did it and all that. And, and some of us, were really into that. Some of us, we like stories where there's a little mystery and you're left going, huh, I wonder. And I get to fill in the gaps. Maybe that's why I like to, I like to fill those in. But which, uh, is life more like the CBS cop show or more like Lost? Think about your life, how many times you've asked the question and God says, just trust me. Okay. It isn't always wrapped up. Sometimes there is understanding gaps, sometimes we're left saying, I'm not gonna know why that just happened till I'm sitting at Jesus' feet in heaven. I I and I have to walk with Jesus with an understanding that He knows and that He understands the mysteries of the universe. And he knows where I'm headed and he loves me and he will keep me. And so when I'm in those moments of doubt, I need to remember and allow Jesus to intervene to say, just trust me. You're not going to get all your questions answered at least right now, but just hold on to my hand. We're going to move through this. Your faith is going to deepen. He doesn't say blind faith. He doesn't say jump off this cliff and just, oh, well, we're given scripture, we're given the Holy Spirit, we're given the community of, the, of faith, but there are times when we're going to have to be okay with mystery. Okay, understanding gaps. What's the B? It's not. Wasn't that so obvious? Should have been belief? Should have been. No, it's backtrack. Backtrack. This is not crowbarred at all. Some of, I heard a moan, but that's, this is not. Backtrack fall back on the foundations of your faith. When you're in the midst of, of doubt, sometimes you need to go backwards and go back to where you started. I think about caving. Anybody like going into caves? Some people love it. Some people are like, don't even Nope. You know, I love going in caves. I used to do it a lot when I was younger. Uh, out in Arizona, there's tons of caves. And some of the bigger ones where you go in and there's just all these offshoots, someone was kind enough to take a rope and tie it at the very beginning and kind of string it down the main thoroughfare, right? So if you find yourself exploring and you get into a dark area and you're all by yourself and you don't understand where you are, you don't have to get all the way back to the entrance, you just need to get back to the rope. And then you follow that rope back to the entrance. And let me ask you, what is the rope? for you. What's that foundation of faith? Maybe it's revisiting a life verse that God has impressed on you. Maybe it's rereading a journal. Maybe it's going back to someone who witnessed God's work in your life to say, hey, God has been with you here and here and here. He will be be with you uh, in the future. If you're out there on the edge of your doubt, you don't need to struggle all the way back to the entrance of the cave. Just find that rope. And then finally, T. had to think about how you spelled doubt there for a second. T. Anybody want to think what ta- T what is? Trust. Trust. That's a good guess. Let's talk it through. Talk it through. Some of you are thinking this is an impossible test. Just, it was never going to do it. Talk it through. Prayer and community are two resources that Jesus gives us for this very purpose. Jesus knows that we struggle with doubt, knows that we have questions. And if we try to do this thing independently, it won't work. We need community. We need prayer. And in the moments of those doubts, that's when it's necessary to begin talking to God. And God is not surprised by our doubts. When Jesus shows up to Thomas, he already heard Thomas's doubts. And so he simply responds and challenges and provides exactly what Thomas said he needed. He doesn't get offended and say, Thomas, I can't believe you needed me to come back here. Oh, When we call out to God in our moment of doubt, that's exactly what he wants us to do. There's nothing shameful, nothing unchristian about calling out to God and saying, God, what are you doing? I don't get it. Now, again, it may be a mystery that he is just going to say, you need to be sufficient with my grace in the moment. But we need to have that back and forth. We need that conversation. We need that prayer. We need to reach out to the Holy Spirit to guide us, to speak to us. Because I found, you know, in my prayer life, it's a two-way conversation. That when I go to him and say, okay, God, what's going on here? That suddenly he uses some of you. Suddenly he uses scripture. Suddenly, you know, different ways that he uniquely tends to speak to me. That if I were to share them, you would say you're crazy that you think God's talking to you in that way. Well, it's my relationship with him, and, and he does speak to me in different ways, and often confirms it in, in different ways, and, and, I, and I think, wow, God, I'm glad I'm talking to you about this. You're speaking back to me. If we truly believe this really happened, that God really did all the things he said he did, and he's going to do all the things he said he's going to do, then he's not going to leave us alone. He's going to continue... In that relationship, and as I've said in the past, we often say, do you want to have a personal relationship with Jesus? But we need to remember that Jesus wants a personal relationship with you. He wants to talk to you. And he's given us the church. He's given us a community of faith. And you need to be in a small group, in in an ABF, in 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 a service team, friends that can gather around you in those times where you can be open and honest and say, I'm really struggling right now need you guys to pray and I need your insight and maybe I need you to just speak to me and say remind me of a time when God God's promises were shown to be true because we forget and when we allow Jesus to challenge our doubt and to intervene in that way we too like Thomas can stand up and say my Lord and my God let's pray God, you, you pursue us. You are not a God that casts us out into the infinite and just hopes we end up where we're supposed to end up. You're a God that loves us uniquely, relates to us uniquely, provides for us uniquely, walks through locked doors and shows us your wounds so that we might grow through our questions and our doubts. And we praise you for that. The very fact that we have faith, that we have belief is a gift. And so we sing and we praise you this morning. We call out to you. And I want to pray specifically for the person that's sitting in the room right now that is very much in the middle of, of doubts. And you relate to Thomas and you are asking these questions and you're making statements like, I will never believe unless. Well, we have faith that you will show up. You'll challenge So I pray that you would intervene in all of our lives. Give us the faith to say, my Lord and my God, to stand up and proclaim it. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together.
0: That's what you say say that you're good and your love is great I'm center of the universe, everything was made in you. Jesus, breath of every living thing, everyone was made for you. You hold everything. of our lives Be the place we fix our eyes Be the center of our lives And we lift our eyes to heaven And we wrap our lives around your life And we lift our eyes to heaven our eyes to heaven and we wrap our lives around your life and we lift our eyes to heaven to you oh Christ be the center of our lives be the place we fix our eyes Be the center of our lives Center of our lives around your life. We lift our eyes to heaven, to you. We lift our eyes to heaven. We wrap our lives Father, keep our eyes on you this week. We pray in Jesus' name. You guys are dismissed. Thank you for being with us. Have a good week.